very land aware. Um, and that's part of my philosophy and that's uh, why I will be spending time. And also, I don't want the place to burn down, so I'm going to be pulling weeds. And uh, I'm recommending that if possible, and I'm not saying that there's anybody who's going to be, I'm not going to be a manager or looking over this or anything. I'm saying 20 minutes a day of doing either a, a little bit of trash pickup when you're walking to the chickens or pulling a couple of weeds. It's amazing how much you can get done. I cleared that bed in 40 minutes. Okay, it needs to be raked out and all that stuff. There's mm -hmm. still work to be done, but I got all those weeds out for it. That's amazing. So you can, you can accomplish so much with just a little bit of time. And if everybody did 20 minutes a day, there wouldn't be weeds in our beds by the end of next week. Well, I, I'm writing the, the book and my, my climate essay series for the podcast, and it's going to be Earth or Fire is going to be the first one because of what we just experienced. And it's going to be air, water, earth, and then I guess if you're going to go Captain Planet, it would be Spirit, which is our community that we're building to respond to that. I'm actually, uh, Heart is the fifth Captain Planet element, excuse me, um, not Spirit, Heart. <laughs> this morning, I uh, got up, I woke up like way too early uh, for work, and I was reading the news, and uh, it really hit me, um, I think, really, really hit me for the first time. I think there's a really good likelihood uh, that uh, this current administration is going to remain in power. Yep. I think there's a. I think there's a strong likelihood of it. And I, I knew if I, I knew when I said that that there would be certain people mm -hmm. in this meeting who were like, "Yep," mm -hmm. and other people who were like, "Oh, I don't like the sound of that." Uh, and both. Yep. And ooh, yeah. Like well, sure. I mean, I'm, I don't think anyone, you know, necessarily thinks it's a good thing unless you're, you know, a special kind of accelerationist. Um, but uh, I think there's a lot of reasons for it. Um, I'm going to write it out, I think. But, um, uh, I, you know, I would just say the, the turning point for me was that uh, governors of swing states, Republican governors of swing states are um, basically forcing people back out into public life, uh, even though their rates of, of COVID transmission are through the roof. And I believe that they are doing that because they want to fuck shit up. They want to create public emergencies so that turnout uh, tanks on election day. Uh, and as everyone knows, uh, you know, all of the mailing, mail-in ballot kinds of things is going to come down to that. All of those things, all, all of the mail-in questions um, are just going to be court cases. And those court cases are going to be decided um, by judges uh, who are fascists, um, who uh, want to uphold and prop up this fascist regime. Um, and so uh, I think that and a number of other reasons are telling me that this is likely to happen. And so I switched into a mode that I think is probably a survival kind of mode for me, which is, okay, what do we do? We need, we need to make a list of things to do and we need to be there for all of us, uh, including for people who are genuinely going to break down, genuinely going to be in dire existential uh, doubt 
about their lives and about everything um, and just absolutely terrified. And we can't, and one thing that we can't do is we can't point to them and go, why do you think Trump is so uniquely bad? We've been bad forever, blah, 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 because these people are going to be losing their shit and they're going to want to die and they're going to want to, they're, they're, they're going to want to, uh, they're going to be very desperate and they're going to be very much in need of healing and love. Um, and we, and we have to stop this sort of sneering that we have been doing to liberals I, I'm sorry, we have to stop that. We have to stop this kind of, of you know, shame on you for thinking that this is bad. Where have you been? Mm. You know, like we've got to fucking stop that. Uh, and we have to come together with everyone who is, who is opposed to shit, uh, no matter what the reasons are uh, that they are, you know, that they feel a deep foreboding sense of wrongness in all of this. And the other thing is that once that happens, once it is apparent that this regime is going to stay in power, uh, the chuds are going to just go nuts. They're just going to be dancing in the streets, shooting guns in the streets. They're going to, they're going to, there will be this, this arrogant push uh, and kind of rubbing it in people's faces in violent and terrible what ways. You mean like P U S T C H. Well, I I, yeah, like no, I mean, like, yeah. So, like, we have to be ready for that too. Now, that's inevitable because <laughs> if if Biden were to win, oh my God, <laughs> is that one of Noah's <laughs> things? Anyway, she, she, that's not the first beanie baby. I know. I know. I, know. She, I keep returning them to Noah's bedroom. I know. No, I you know. can't eat the beanie baby. No, no um, beanie babies for you. DSA sent a pretty sobering memo to DSA chapter leadership. And so we're going to be looking at that at Saturday's meeting and like talking about like, what does this mean? And they've got like four different scenarios for like the presidential election outcome and what that means from an organizing standpoint. So I would love it if folks would show up for the meeting. So we're switching to Saturdays at 9am for our meetings. And I want to just particularly invite everybody here because I think DSA, Solidarity Collective, Red Star Coalition, SRA, like all of these entities that we're connected in and part of, I think, have relationships to each other. And this Saturday would be a good opportunity to actually have some conversation about that. Um, so want to invite everyone in the commune to come to this week's DSA meeting on Saturday. All right, so just to clarify, the two episodes, for some reason I thought one was longer, but they're basically the same length. Uh, so, but I did share two different episodes, and the first one that we're talking about is decolonize the body and getting in right relationship with our bodies and planet. And I, I will, I, mean, I think if everyone wants to, you know, go around and everyone can share thoughts if they want. Um, I just want to center it or or I guess relate it back at the end maybe to like how how we as a community are in relationship like individuals and as a community are in relationship with food and our bodies and and the earth so just like with that in mind I guess so if anyone feels particularly compelled to go first I guess I could go if nobody else is 
chomping at the bit to go. Um, relating it to some of like what I've been going through for the last few years, like going through menopause and like steadily putting on weight and that, you know, that I was at the thinnest that I ever was right before I got pregnant with my second child. I was down to like 110 pounds or something. And, um, and to have gone up to, I think I topped out at 180 before I started losing weight recently, um, you know, as I got through the menopausal transition and, you know, there was like some, some of that weight was pregnancy weight that I never lost, which is also interesting hearing. Um, and I lost track of whose voices were whose. So I think it was Adrian talking about having kids. Was no, Autumn's right? the only one that has kids. Autumn has kids. Okay. Gotcha. Kids, Adrian has none. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so yeah. So, you know, hearing that and like going like, oh, actually like, yeah, we don't all lose that weight. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that I had from my pregnancy with Gibran and then didn't with Ananda and then was into like, shortly after that was like really sick with Lyme disease and spent three years like pretty immobile and didn't lose any weight during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then menopause started. And so for me, for me, it's been like 15 years of this sort of like, steadily going from 110 to 180 and then like just in the last couple months starting to have the weight come off and like watching my own internal struggles with it and then like coming to peace with it and then struggling with it again and um you know feeling less attractive and just going through a lot of the stuff that they were talking about with that um and also knowing that I've done some shitty fat shaming stuff to Matt, you know, early on in our relationship. And like, also like sort of the podcast helped me like reckon a little bit with some of that stuff as well. Um, I enjoyed the podcast. I'm sorry. Are you done, Yana? Yes. Okay. I enjoyed the podcast. Uh, it forced, I, and I, I looked at it and listened, looked at it, listen, listen to it through a, uh, a, a queer filter or a queer lens um, and almost all gay men I know are fat phobic mm-hmm. and it's ingrained in the community. It has been for my entire, the entirety of my experience of being queer, it has been ingrained and I've been on the end of the fat scale and I personally have been, uh, fat phobic and am fat phobic uh, still. I it maybe recognize some of that still in my in myself, you know. But it it I really it kind of hit me um, how casually cruel people are, and it reminded me of some instances from when I was you know a teenager of where before I was uh, obese, um, where we were at a basketball game and um, there was a guy sitting in front of us who had a large butt crack exposed and they were dropping sunflower seeds down his pants. He didn't notice until he stood up and all of a sudden all these, it was, yeah, that kind of shit. And I wasn't, and I was like, this is the kind of things that happened to fat people because of the, just the the casual cruelty of other people. And um, when she was talking about that story where there was a, 
couple like looking at him, you know, talking behind their hand and pointing at her and like, and stuff like that. And she just looked daggers at him. I, I felt that that is almost kind of the approach that people need. And it's actually made me reevaluate my opinion of Bill Maher as a comedian because he's really heavily into fat shaming. His like his his obsession with being healthy is like well if you're fat you're doing it deliberately this is unhealthy and you need to stop doing it and you know that you just shouldn't be fat and it doesn't recognize the existence of things especially when we're talking about the intersection of size and race when you're talking about inner city areas that are predominantly occupied by people of color not having grocery stores it, they're food deserts where it's you know more than a mile walk um to get to a place where you could actually buy healthy food you know and i i lived in chicago i've seen what it's like to not have the luxury of calling a cab to take you to the store and to take you back home with your groceries i've seen people having to try and wrangle two and three children on a bus or on a train with a cart full of groceries, one of those push carts that you have, trying to get to the grocery store and back. And I'm just like, this is like the literally almost the same as the wasted energy that women uh, expend in Africa fetching water every day for half of their lives. And, you know, and so it's really easy as a wealthy, privileged white person to make these judgments about being unhealthy and how people, you know, it's just a dietary choice and it's you, you know, blah, blah, blah. When there are a lot of systemic factors that make people that way. And it's not just people of color. Sarah and I have talked about this, that last welfare food run that we got, we got enough mozzarella cheese to start a pizzeria. And I'm not complaining about that. I don't know if we've even tapped those pork patties because that's not that's processed meat if there ever was processed meat you know that's not good for anybody i I don't think you know it's not going to kill you but it's it's not healthy and that's what our society has systematically done to people it's reduced us to almost it's like subsistence eating of shit that never satisfies and it makes you unhealthy and then the system turns around and blames you for making you addicted to this highly horrible substance called high fructose corn syrup and then fat shames you into buy i mean it's in capitalism sucks check okay <laughs> and that it, it, there's there's so many intersections here of race and 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 size and capitalism and you know there's there's these marketplaces existing just for to to shame people and then there's also the marketplace for hey beef you know be as free as you want to be and it still seems that capitalism is playing both sides of the game which makes it even worse it was a great conversation uh to listen to um extremely informative about personal perspectives um and on things that i had uh, that I've been able to get educated on in different ways and in, through different sources throughout the last several years. Of course, the first thing that came to mind for me was the way that capitalism shapes body image. Uh, this is a theme that 
socialist and anti-capitalist folks have done, I, I think, a pretty good job over the years of being consistent about, although I don't think that it was always as radically and sweepingly applied as it has started to be. Um, and that includes with, you know, the notion of there's still, I think, the, even the left still upholds this notion of a of what a good body is or what a, an optimal body is. And I, I think that that's obviously something that the left needs to continue to educate itself about by embracing perspectives of as much difference and variance as possible. I think I was uh, conscious of um, fat hatred, as they call it, um, which I think is, is uh, definitely more um, more apt than fat phobia. Um, and uh, like mentally pushed against it and thought it was mean, but um, with regard to others from, I think, a pretty early age, but still like internalized a lot of it um and for a long time i was um pretty fat um just because of i mean for for a lot of reasons but i was um on super heavy doses of antipsychotics and um antidepressants that that like increased your appetite and i wasn't um doing much of anything um and it was uh, it was very easy for me to slip into um, hating myself about that and like um, feeling like if I could just like cut off my stomach or something I would be happier or, or something like that. Um, after a long time, I started um, going off the heavier meds, um, and my psychiatrist was like, "Oh, you're looking good, and you you um, must have lost weight." And they didn't mean it in like a shitty way, but it still made me like, made me think like I haven't done anything. Like nothing has changed except my meds, for the most part, and and that's being like praised. Um, so that that sort of was one of those moments where I realized that I was I was thinking about my body in a really gross way that sort of reflected the way society is gross about bodies, um, but. That's still like I, I still before I I went to school in person, like on campus, I uh, really wanted to lose a bunch of weight just so I didn't stick out or there wasn't anything um, for me to like be self-conscious or anxious about, which is obviously impossible. And that sort of led into um, talked a lot about like unhealthy ways of being thin. And I was definitely like restricting my food intake consciously and, and like biking everywhere and like having joint pain and, and fainting and stuff. And so I, I think it's, it's, it's very hard to like dislodge that and, and come into a, a right relationship with your, with your body. I think it's, uh, it's interesting how like bodies are, are, are categorized and, and medicalized and like turned into indicators of your personal morality or, or worth and in like very different ways in very different historical situations and like in ways that that aren't really related to like they're they're a lot of what Jason was saying like you're you're sort of inundated with with horrible food and and punished for overindulging and, and or like just eating enough to survive or or whatever and um there really isn't any any like other than you know the the quote unquote 
perfect bodies that were like shown. Um, I guess that's sort of changing now, but like I feel like there's probably a million ways for for anyone, especially people like who are racialized or, or gendered in ways that aren't um, normative um, for you to feel awful about your body in, in ways that are completely the opposite of how someone else feels awful about their body. I guess that's pretty much all I have. So I guess really just like, how do we take all of those? Because it's clear that even in our different ways to different extents, we have, you know, like, you know, capitalism has, you know, sort of fucked up the way that we relate to our bodies and to food. And, and so like, how do we take all of those different experiences, you know, move like move forward in a way that is moving us towards being more in right relationship with with our bodies and with the the earth and for me I feel like it I spent a lot of time on learning diet uh sort of um you know dieting and restricting mindset and sort of you know went in the direction of like you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to eat what I want. And, and then, which was in some ways was really good and freeing, but also like definitely is there's, I mean, there's so much stuff like due to like systemic food system issues, like Matt was talking about, I think food or like eating, you know, eating comfort food or eating things that, that spike dopamine in our brains is to a coping mechanism for most people to various extents. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of our, you know, pushing ourselves, I think a lot of our pushing ourselves through, uh, you know, a lot of the work and, and things that like, um, that, you know, we need to do that like food uh, or, or like not, for me anyway, like for instance, like food that fuels a dopamine spike, but doesn't necessarily nourish my body as much as maybe another choice would like, um, is like a way that I've gotten, you know, push myself through needing to like do a bunch of stuff or, or needing to get like through emotionally mm-hmm. un- uncomfortable or, or like times that are otherwise hard to deal with. Um, like how do we, for those that of us that do want to work on, you know, like reducing disordered eating as a coping mechanism, um, which may just be me, uh, I mean, although I suspect not, but, like, how how do we do that in a way that's, like, supportive with each other? And, like, I've been thinking a lot about, and this is part of, I think, why, like, our sort of lack of, of relational, you know, fabric is a struggle is because I'm, I'm wanting to, to reduce the amount that I rely on something, on some of those coping mechanisms. You know, you have to replace it with something, so in relational, you know, support, I think, and like, um, is, you know, can, can be part of that. Um, and so I've like, that's part of, I think, why I've been feeling the lack of it a lot. I think sometimes you judge yourself about it and mm-hmm. we end up with like much more mature thinking about some of these topics because you do that thing. And So part of me wants to like really encourage you to like really be okay with the fact that you do obsess on this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and, you know, and think about it a lot because I think Mm -hmm. there's like a really positive side to it, which is that we go really deep on questions sometimes that we wouldn't if you weren't doing that. 
I think the part I end up beating myself up a lot is that I do a lot of thinking, which, which is, you know, sometimes is good in terms of like, like you say, you know, more mature thinking or, or what have you, um, like, but then I struggle with the execution or with like, the, you know what I mean? And so I think where I start to feel bad is that I know better and it doesn't lead to me doing better. And then I feel really shitty mm-hmm. about that. Um, because it's one thing to not do better, you know, if you are ignorant about something like, you know, but if you've like thought for hours and hours about something and you still haven't like done any behavioral change, it's really easy to be like, well, I'm just garbage. <laughs> and also we're getting up on the end. So of, of Matt's hard stop. So, um, did anybody, I guess, have anything else or another direction or anything that they wanted to add or contribute before we have to be done in about five minutes? I appreciated this time and I'm glad we had had the, a little bit of time and space to, to do this. I agree with Matt and I think I'm going to feed my fat jeans two burritos for lunch. significant executive experience and have been involved in local activism around police reform since Derek Colling shot and killed Robbie Ramirez. I'm asking for your support to implement the kinds of reforms in local policing that the community has been asking for since a group of us started ACOP in November of 2018. Public safety is a concept that few people in the county see being truly upheld right now. Trust in local law enforcement seems to be at an all-time low, especially with the sheriff's department. I do not believe that installing someone from inside of law enforcement culture will do anything to heal the wounds and give us the opportunity for real change. Albany County is ready for a creative change up in policing and we have an unusual opportunity to do something different for the next two years. I would like to lead that process, not as the cop in chief, but as the facilitator in chief. I was the lead facilitator in January, 2019 for the public forum that led to the 19 page report on what the community wanted and I'm a co-author of that report. If selected as the next sheriff, that document will provide guidance for my two years in office. I will also take guidance from data on what causes crime. It does not come from bad people, but most often from poverty, lack of public services, such as those for mental health, housing, and food access, and people's sense of powerlessness in their lives. I would like to see public safety handled much more coherently than it currently is in our county, and will and that will require a shift in how we think about crime prevention and remediation. My background in economic justice and training in restorative justice will both play into how I operate and what I prioritize as sheriff. In 2019, the county commission expressed sympathy for the community's anger and fears related to Derek Collings continued employment, but were clear that they did not have the power to enact the community's will. Now the commission and the Albany County Democrats do. You can choose to install someone in this role who will heed the community's will first and foremost and pursue serious reform and act to restore community trust. In addition to a comprehensive personnel review, starting with Mr. Colling, I commit to the following. 
holding comprehensive community forums for the community to create their vision for policing in the county and hold a hiring freeze until that work is complete. Backing the creation of a county community oversight board, which will ideally work with the city board in progress. Looking at budget reductions for policing and increases for true community support services in cooperation and mutual assessment with UW and LPD. Enacting community support practices such as traffic stops that help change lights and get registrations updated rather than issuing tickets that impact our poor and working class community members disproportionately. Reviewing and reforming hiring practices to make sure we are bringing in a new culture to the Sheriff's Department. Ensuring that all ACSO staff are being paid living wages and have the mental health support they need to be good community members in their roles. Taking serious public complaints about officer behavior. Assessing the department for racism, sexism, classism, ableism, and homophobia and transphobia, and working to find best practices for changing problems identified. And finally, emphasizing investigations of crimes with real victims and de-emphasizing marijuana enforcement and other victimless crimes that create an environment of unnecessary hostility between law enforcement and the community. I understand that I am an unusual candidate for this office. My background is more in protesting the police than ever wanting to be inside that world. However, what I bring is the audacity to believe in the intelligence and creativity of our community and extensive experience building alignment within small communities for positive change. Police reform is sweeping the United States right now, and if we are willing to look to other communities who are truly committed to public dialogue and care, I believe we can do some great stuff in the next two years if we have the audacity and compassion at the helm. Finally, I'm aligned with the Albany County Democrats platform, which recognizes the realities of systemic racism and increased need for funding for mental health services, names the importance of public discourse, and explicitly calls for police reform. I urge the county party to make choices in your share of nominees who will embody these values. I also urge the county commission to honor the will of voters in 2018 who said they wanted a Democrat in this role by choosing someone in touch with the party platform for our county. Let me know if you have any want any further information from me in your deliberations. Yana Budrick. Yeah, that sounds good. It kind of blows my mind that the intention of this whole thing is for you to be like the outsider when everything sounds so completely reasonable that you said. Right. I mean, that's the thing is like nothing that ACOP or the Laramie Human Rights Network have been asking for is unreasonable. Mm -hmm. Right. It's all totally spot on. These are our compromise. Like this is, I feel like this is a situation where like with that happened with Bernie where people were like, oh, you didn't get Bernie. You need to compromise. Like Bernie was a compromise. Right, like, right. This, this is the compromise. Right, as opposed to like, no, we think we should just abolish the police. I mean, that's what I think a lot of people want. And this is the, let's push it much further than it has been pushed. And yeah, see if we can make some progress in the next two years. Yeah, I mean, I'm... Not that I have any hope that they'd actually pick me. No, but after <laughs> also after what Matt just said, that somebody personally messaged him to tell him not to apply because he's quote too controversial like I, I yeah I don't I don't have that much hope now I'm ready to give a big 
fuck you to the Calvary County Dems when they pick terrible choices that just hand the commission what they want on a silver platter. Mm-hmm. Well, it'll be interesting. I mean, the process is that there's a committee of seven people who right. are going to take the applications and narrow it down to six. Right. And then those six get voted on by, I think it's like the, the precinct committee people and they're supposed to narrow it down to three and then the county commission gets to decide among those three. So the idea was that if we could like have six reform candidates come out of that, then the county commission is going to have a reform. They're going to have to pick a reform person and they can pick the least reformy of the reform people. But that was the hope is that we'd have enough people that we could actually, you know, kind of force the issue. So, yeah. Yep. It's a bummer math's not going to apply. So if you all were applying for this, like, what would be different about your this is what I commit to section? Like, what would you have in there that's different than what I put in mine? Um, I mean, I would use stronger language around calling, honestly. I think you said, like, re- like evaluating officers, starting with Derek calling. Well, I actually had like, firing him in there, and then the LHRM people said, don't. Maybe you should tone that down a smidge. And so I did, based on what their feedback did. So it was stronger. And then, sure. Uh, I mean, I would commit to taking... Although, I mean, this is still just, I mean, that, I think you could be, maybe LHRN is somehow hoping that you're going to actually get it or something. I have no idea. But in my opinion, I feel like that, I don't know, that, like, if you know you're probably not going to get hired anyway, like, why tone it down? But, um, but also that's, I mean, I'm not in charge of that and you should probably do what they ask. But, um, I was also Mm -hmm. thinking that, like, uh. The, the other thing would be like to commit to, and this is like in line with what LHRN was wanting. I don't know if they'd want you to say so in the letter, but um, like that, that money for, uh, you know, money for any of these programs comes from the police budget and not from other places in the city budget. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, like, like we're not, you know, this isn't a, we're going to grow the police by training them more and giving them more overtime. Right, like, right. Um, yeah, but, um, All right, other thoughts? The necessity of restaffing mm-hmm. um, and having the newly trained staff um, be trained in, or the new staff be trained in anti-racist, anti-sexist, anti-ableist, mm-hmm. um, conflict, and conflict resolution, and, um, you know, de de-escalation mm-hmm. uh, kinds of things, um, but not by long. And preferring candidates for all of those positions, obviously from underrepresented uh, mm-hmm. groups. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, changing the internal policies regarding lethal force. Um, uh, taking a stand against failed the failed war on drugs, and as well as um, uh, taking a stand against cash bail mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and cash fine systems. Yeah. yeah. Um, inviting listening sessions through the community uh, and also enforcing laws against those who would intimidate protesters and intimidate people who are exercising their civil rights and their political rights. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
what position the county Democratic Party is in in advancing these candidates and they're advancing them to the um, mm-hmm. to the county commissioners and what do we think the politics of that are going to be like? I think they're going to roll over. I think someone who's an abolitionist should apply and straight up be like, I'm abolish the shit. And of course they won't pick them, but, mm-hmm. but that's okay. I'm not. Present that position as right. one that exists. Right. As right. one that exists and one that like, what, what, what functions does the sheriff's office serve in our community? They have big yeah. people, which were in the middle of a pandemic which they can't do, and we don't, we, like, would literally cause... Can you put harm in to your community, letter like, that you would stop all evictions? evictions? You would not, you would not mm-hmm. enforce evictions?